Hello and welcome to the Mountain State Liberty Cast. I'm your host, Ty Ward. This podcast is brought to you by the LPWV. Um, this is episode number 10, and today we have a guest, uh, longtime libertarian Brett Rogers from the Eastern Panhandle of West Virginia. Uh, good morning, Brett. Good morning, Ty. Nice to have me on. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, um, it is nice having you on. Um, so, uh, I don't know if you've listened to our previous episodes, but a lot of people that listen will know that uh, myself and Taylor Richmond, who usually is my co-host, we've kind of been what they call small L libertarians for a long time. We kind of took the leap in the last couple of years as far as joining the LP and getting involved. But you have been... Um, You've been involved with the Libertarian Party of West Virginia for quite a few years. How long have you been involved? I think it was 2015 or 16 when I first went to my first convention there in uh, Clarksburg. I, I believe it was that year. Okay, so yeah. About eight years now. Yeah, so you're uh, in in relativity to who's involved now. You're kind of an OG. So, um, I, <laughs> yeah. Before yeah. I, I kind of wanted to, to talk today a little bit about uh, small business and the regulations and and, and things that kind of hamper small business in West Virginia. But first, I wanted to give people an opportunity to hear your your bona fides. Uh, you've run for office a couple times and interacted with the uh, local government there in in the Eastern Panhandle. What's your uh, history up there as far as running for office? and things like that goes so i ran for house of delegates the first time i believe it was 2018 and then i ran um in 2020 again uh, it was 63rd district at that time and now it's 97th but i've recently moved and i last year or two years ago i'm sorry i ran for a uh, county commission here in berkeley county so that's been my three uh my three runs for for office unfortunately uh i didn't win any of the races but i put up some good numbers and you know, it spread them, spread the word of liberty, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, and just to get into that a little bit, I'll kind of s- sidebar. Uh, we've talked <laughs> about running for office on the podcast a little bit and what's required, and a little bit of the the stumbling blocks that are in place with the system for a third party. What are some of the things that you've had to deal with as a third party candidate, and also somebody that doesn't have a lot of outside money and influence helping you run? What are some of the stumbling blocks that you've run into? Sure, I, it's actually there's a lot of similarities between running for office as the third party and trying to start a small business. Uh, you know, I was the first person that I'm aware of that ever ran as a libertarian in the Eastern, well, I shouldn't say Eastern Panhandle because we had Brent Ricketts running uh, Jefferson County, but Berkeley County, I was, I would have to say I was probably the only libertarian that's ever ran here. So uh, when I was going to the places and asking and figuring out how to sign up, I, nobody could tell me anything about how to be on the ballot as a third party. And that's at the county clerk's office. I mean, <clears throat> without having to actually call Charleston and the secretary of state and have them call the Berkeley County offices. I mean, no, nobody here had a clue. And uh, I actually had a friend that was a registered libertarian that voted in a Republican primary one time. So uh, <laughs> they had just, you know, instead of them not being able to, they allowed them to pick whatever ballot they wanted. And, you know, they voted in a Republican primary and that's technically not legal, but that's, the way things work here <laughs> yeah that's uh it's and i think it's becoming a little bit easier and we have a little bit more of a brain trust with people like you and uh mike locker just yep. run and austin lynch and yep. a few other people that have run and uh it, it's just like anything in government that the information's there it's just really even trying to find unless you know somebody trying to find the information is 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 hard yep. to do even with the internet today you think it'd be easy but it's like the information is stored somewhere and you got to have some kind of secret magical yep. spell to unlock it so 
Um, yep. And as far as, you know, like money and stuff goes, but, you know, I was able to, I, I'm fairly well known here in East, uh, Berkeley County. So I was able to raise a decent amount of money for my campaign, but you know, we don't have any elected libertarians in Charleston right now. So, you know, you don't have corporations or any of these, uh, uh, lobbyist groups writing big checks to, uh, help you get elected. Cause there's just really no power in that right now. So, uh, hopefully we can get some people, you know, elected locally at smaller offices and start picking our way at the state level over the next few years, you know? Yeah, that's the goal. And, uh, yeah, there, it's hard to get money from people when you promise to take away their influence in government. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it doesn't work out so well No. So as far as small business goes, I know, uh, I've, I've had a few small businesses I've been involved in that were what they say legit, but most of the small business work that I've done, and I don't care to say it cause it's not been anything the IRS would even care about, but I've done a lot of work under the table and, and I've always kind of been a little bit hesitant to go, go legit with small business because I know what a pain it can be and and my recent history you know I'm, I'm employed by a but by an, a company right now but I'm planning on going to business for myself and I want liability insurance and the way our system's set up is the entire system set around the government gives you basically that they tap you on the shoulders with a sword and say you are now a business even though they ha- they they provide little to nothing when it as far as it comes to getting a business license and the insurance companies they want to see that you're a legitimate business which is ironic because it literally like as i just said it, it affects absolutely nothing as far as the day and di- day in and day out of of how you're going to run your business the, the state doesn't doesn't do anything except for take your money through taxation so i wanted to ask you, you you're somebody that started a small business and, and you're you're in and out of several others so give us a little bit of um insight into the issues that you've had as far as starting a small business goes in correlation with government yeah i've i've only you know i've been in business for myself for probably i think it's four years now but i've only ever worked for small businesses no matter even from when i got out of high school i was you know i've been worked at a funeral home i've done construction work i've been kind of diversified in all my trades uh hvac uh, and I, I just saw how difficult it was for those guys to run their businesses and find decent employees and you know it was tough for so when i started my business i went in to it with the mindset of I've got to be just big enough to make money, but small enough to where I don't have to have any employees, you know, because I just can't afford the payroll taxes, uh, the health insurance and all that stuff. And, you know, you're not going to find too many hardworking people that are going to show up to work for with no benefits and low wages. So I kind of went ahead and set my business model up that it was pretty much just going to be me. And I would, you know, have my girlfriend and friends help me whenever I needed it. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, the biggest thing with me is you, you start up and it's, you start paying money to the state before you ever turn a dime. And then it's nothing but roadblocks all along the way. Every, every, doesn't matter who it is, whether it's the county, the city, the state, it's just one more hurdle over the next. And, and what people don't understand is, you know, they vote, they pass these laws down in Charleston that these politicians don't even read. And then they have, they just send out these people to enforce them. And there's no oversight over any of them. It just they can do whatever they want. They don't answer to anybody. And uh, you go in and try to find help or talk to somebody, and it's just here's this person, call them, and then it's here this person, call them, and it's just one thing after the next. And you know these the people put these laws in that, that think they're going to uh, keep people safe and uh, protect us from these greedy corporations, but these corporations don't abide by these laws. They just pay their way around them. I mean, 
you see uh, housing developments in Berkeley County, and I'm, you know, in the trade work, some of the junk that they let put up here, I mean, they'll build 500 houses and they're all junk, you know, but if I would want to try to build a house to sell it off of my farm, they'd run me through the ringer. I'd have inspection, 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 but they don't do that to the Dan Ryans and the big people of the world because they just get railroaded by their attorneys. And that's, I've been talking to probably almost a dozen small business owners here in Berkeley County about some of the problems I've run into. And it's been a, just every single one of them that said, you just have to get an attorney. That's what we had to do. So the fact that to start a small business in this state, that you basically have to have an attorney to be able to call around and threaten local government, it's, it's insanity. And it's one thing after the next. It doesn't matter what the group you're talking to, city. I guess they, uh, when I started my uh, food business in the city, it was a food trailer. Well, it was, you know, right after COVID. So there really wasn't a lot of uh, information from Charleston given to these local people about starting food trailers. So, um, they, you know, the first people that did it kind of were getting run all over the place with how they had to do things and how we had to do this and filling out these packets that didn't have anything to do with, you know, a 25-page packet that I had to answer where my bathrooms were. And I don't have bathrooms. I'm a food trailer. So, you know, just wasted money there. <clears throat> and then you, I go down to the city and file for the business license thinking it's going to be $15 or whatever. And the lady looks at me and says, you got to pay $500 for an itinerant vendor bond. And I said, where do you see that on the paper? I mean, the, the language was nowhere on the application anywhere. And uh, she said, what's the thing, whether it's there or not? I said, well, I'm not just writing you a check for $500 for you to stick in your pocket. I mean, how do you how can you just make this word up? And they never produced a document that showed that they actually had the power to have an itinerant vendor bond. And uh, they wouldn't give me my license until I paid it. So she took on the application, scratched out uh, language with a pen and wrote itinerant vendor bond on a legal document. And uh, that's that was their what they handed me to, for me to pay the $500. So uh, I, it's insanity. It's, it's like dealing with the mafia. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. And that's the thing. I, I worked. Yeah. I worked in, I worked in grants and for the state, you know, I it was before I got myself out of the, the devil's den there. But that's one thing that that's funny because if you're a, if you're auditing or monitoring, that's, that's mostly what I did was monitor federal grants for these, um, community action agencies and other subrecipients of state grant money and that's the thing is it in reporting and, and monitoring the big thing is if it's not written down in some kind of rule that they've agreed to it's not something you can hold them to well th they're protected because they're affiliated with government and government doesn't uh violate government but as far as you go like you said everything you just said that's that's um being fraudulent on an official government document that's that's in some instances depending on where the funding comes from or, or who's administering the the regulation that's a federal crime so yeah. if if the if you if 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 anybody if you turned in a form and you had scratched something out and wrote it total in on an invoice and turned it in for let's say you're getting grant money you'd get you'd probably get shut down and maybe even face jail time and a fee and stuff and sure. fines and but but they do it all day long and like like you said they just make it up as they go along and a lot of government agencies, they aren't questioned because, like you said, it is easier just to get an attorney who knows the ins and outs and does it for you, and nobody questions, and they're not used to being questioned. Just like simply what you said, that's that's plain common sense is, where does it say I have to do that? Well, I don't know, but this is how we do it, and that's how they operate government. It's just, it's asinine, but that's how things run. 
And somebody and, like you who's just – you're literally just trying to make money to feed yourself and, and provide a service for people. Nobody's complaining. What does that What does that fee pay for? Does it ensure some sort of quality of the of the food you're serving? No. It just puts money in their pocket. And yep. th- the thing is, is when you think about how much money each in, of these individuals pay – even when you sign up for a business and you you know you're going to pay your whatever it is fifty dollars to start a business, fifty. What is that paying for? Is that paying somebody's salary? Where is this money right. coming from? That that fifty dollars means nothing to them, but it's a thumb on top of you to show no, you don't do anything unless the crown says that you can. You know you're not yep. going to shoot a deer in the crown's forest. This is it's the same. You know the old tale of Robin Hood. It's the same situation that we've dealt with when we we got away from you know the the monarchy of england we don't want an official sitting up high telling everybody what to do it is worse now than it was when king george had the the colonies under his thumb and you know that sounds you know hyperbolic to say but when you look at it i don't see how it's anything but the you know absolute truth that it is harder right now to live in freedom than it was when the the founders fought the revolutionary war and again i know how dramatic that sounds but i hate that it's true i don't want it to be true and i I know neither do you and i mean just looking at the the climate since i've been in business for myself and seeing what the legislature's done over the past few years you know they're handing millions and millions of dollars to these big corporations to pop these plants up all over the state and every year they make it harder and harder to do small business in this state so it almost seems as like there's two they really want there to be two employers. They either want you to work for the government or they want you to go work for one of these, their buddies' corporations that they handed millions of dollars to. They don't want you to have freedom to be able to feed your family and be able to be, you know, be free and be dangerous to a degree because they hate people that are free, that can take care of themselves, that can feed themselves. So the, the goal to me from what it seems like is they want everybody working for them or for their buddies in a factory and they don't want a free and prosperous life like you used to be able to have in this country. You know, I mean, you look back at how things were a hundred years ago. I know it's, it's never been easy to do business. I mean, that's, but it used, the hardest part of business was just finding something that people wanted to pay for. Now it's, You've got there's people that have great ideas and can do great things, but it's just they might not have the the capital to just hand it to the government to get permission to do it. You know, and it's it's you never used to have to do that. And it's, you know, it's it's a shame to see what's going on. And they've kind of seems like we almost have like a, a mentality in society where if you own your own business, you're rich and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's you know really not the case <laughs> I think a lot of these businesses are operating on credit and everything else. You know, it's it's just it's a disaster right now to try to run a business in this country. And it's not just because of who's in the White House right now. It's you know, there I don't think there's anything that Trump did in Washington that helped any small business in West West Virginia other than maybe a tax cut or something like that. But there was, you know, none of these red none of the red tape got slashed, you know. It's it's just insane. Yeah, and that's a that's a funny aside, but uh, you know I'm I didn't grow up in West Virginia. We moved here when I was about thirteen, but my uh, stepdad he bought and sold furs and and deer hides, and that's something that I picked up. And up until probably I think it was Trump's first term, I bought deer hides on the side. Now not a ton, but um, I'd make a little bit of money on it. And it, as as the market went, that most deer hides end up going to China, and they had for a long time, just like everything else. Well, when Trump came in and decided to do his tariffs on China, um, 
some businesses and some people that had influence got ex- exemptions from those tariffs and they can operate well uh deer hides wasn't on that list <laughs> the uh, fur traders trappers whatever those people that handle those materials they were they didn't have enough influence to get themselves exempt so basically any any profit was just completely dashed and, and i haven't done it since again trump's first first year of office and that last year i sold deer hides i didn't get rid of my deer hides till three or four months later than i normally do to the point where it was getting into the spring warm weather and everybody knows how that works so yeah yep. to, to your point it's not just local government it's it's all the way up from the top down these people that they they feel like they have the answers and they yep. know how the how to manipulate the markets in a way to make them work more efficiently when the trouble is the free market and markets not the free market but markets will work and if you manipulate them there will be second third and fourth order consequences to the things you do that you're not anticipating yep. and one of those things almost every single time is small businesses always get the short end of the stick because they don't get have the influence and they don't have enough um, as the state calls they don't provide enough revenue to the state for them to really worry about and and I know as a as a veteran, um, the the state of West Virginia provides a little bit of uh, incentive for uh, veterans to get into agriculture. Well, do they give you a, a, a grant to start your business? No. Do they do they offer you a, a no interest loan? No. They'll give you education. That's the, that's the program for veterans. They have. They, they'll tell you. They'll they'll educate you on how to become mm-hmm. a vet, become a farmer or start an agriculture business. And somebody like me who isn't you know a, a severely disabled veteran. Well, I've got to work. I don't have time to sit around and take a bunch of classes. And and I I grew up on a farm. I know how to farm. I know things. I could sell eggs. I could sell chicken. I could sell, we could sell, you know, we have a couple milk cows. We could sell milk. But everything that I would be able to sell is so highly regulated, it reduces any incentive to do it. So it's, it's one of those things. Every time you turn a corner, if you want to start a small business and try to make money for yourself and provide for your family, the government has, a, has some sort of rule regulation or fee or fine that they think, and here's the thing, Brett, most of them legitimately believe in what they're doing. That's the part sure. I, I'll take. That's the dangerous part about it. Yeah. I'll take malice and, 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 you know, uh, greed over, you know, unintended and and misguided uh, philanthropy and and charity over any day of the week because the people that really believe what they're doing, they're going to fight for it. And they believe that, like you being in the food service industry, they believe that their regulations is what's um, ensuring the safety of the food you're selling. Now, now, Brett, I know you. Are you going to sell tainted meat to people if the government doesn't tell you not to? No. Absolutely not. I need customers coming back yeah. and back and back. You know, so I, yeah, what'll happen? What'll happen if you sell them meat that gives them food poisoning? I just lost a customer for life. Exactly. And and, and you will that, that's the thing with a small business like you who's doing, you know, small catering and serving, you know, food festivals and stuff, you will be done in a year. The next year, nobody's gonna sure. hire you because they all talk to each other and they're gonna say, This guy sells meat that poisons people. And it's the same way with everything. And you can you can point to a million examples of how companies or small businesses or large businesses or whatever have purposefully sold things they knew were, were harmful. But for every one of those, you have a million businesses that sell products every day and do their best and follow all the proper, you know, procedures and food health and, and, and cleanliness to make sure that their products aren't harming people. And we, and you can, you can say as somebody who believes in, 
as small government as possible. You don't necessarily mind an inspector here and there or somebody that's investigating a report. Um, those things, if we just had that, like we talked about, uh, Taylor and I talked about in our last podcast, if the government was only paying for roads, police, fire, and EMS, you know, that's fantastic. We would love it. That'd be great. That'd be a, way, a a big step up from what we have now. If the USDA and FDA were investigating, you know, uh, incidents where people are reporting this stuff and, and maybe even a yearly, you know, hey, what are your procedures? Do you have procedures? Okay, well, if you don't, we're not going to, you're not in trouble, but this is what we recommend that you do to ensure that if that was what government was doing, fantastic. But like you said, Inspectors, what are they inspecting? These people haven't ever run a business. They don't know the ins and outs of how much it costs to buy all these different uh, materials to ensure safety. And you found a different way to do it that's just as effective. No, you have to do it our way, and that's that's how government works. It's basically just stifling every opportunity you have to be successful. And with the with the health department, I'm, since we're talking about food, you know, I think people. Uh, it sounds good. Like, oh, they're keeping your restaurant safe. But there's like four inspectors, and there's probably hundreds of restaurants. So there's they're literally never – first off, they don't work weekends, hardly. So apparently nobody gets sick on the – or does anything on the weekends. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, they, they don't watch every plate that gets cooked. So they are basically a reactionary group. They don't, they don't come and do anything until the problem's already occurred. You know, until a 1,000 people get sick – the health department doesn't do anything, you know, so you're paying all this money and they have these people out there that don't have a clue. And all it really is, is a reactionary thing. Like you said, you know, if it was just the occasional come in and make sure everything was, you know, clean and reasonable, but the stuff they make these places do is insane. I mean, it's, and they, and like you said, I, I worked at the funeral home uh, with a guy, he was in college to do something that had nothing to do with, um, the health department or anything got out of college graduated couldn't find a job and they hired him there and uh, he actually just quit not long ago apparently uh was not having a good time but uh you know it's it's insane they it, and i had a friend who is a professional chef that applied to be a health inspector there but because he didn't have a bachelor's degree they didn't hire him so here's somebody that actually knows what a kitchen's supposed to be run like but because he doesn't have a bachelor's degree he can't get the job and some guy that i worked with that didn't even know how to open the oven when he came to inspect the pizza place down here. He's out running around closing businesses down. It's it's nonsense. Yeah. And, you know, and, go ahead. Good. No, good. Um, yeah, and, and that's that's the thing is is professional expertise is is something that most industries hold, you know, to respect. And when you have people coming in that don't know what they're doing, as you're saying, not only does it does it is it offensive to the people doing the work, it, it creates an environment of hostility, and and it just grows people's animosity to the government. And any any good that the government and these officials could do is stifled by that because people start hiding stuff, they start getting around it and then maybe even they become a little bit jaded and, and stop doing the proper procedures and, and human psychology is is one thing that they don't consider is you're beating these people down to a point where they don't even want to do good business anymore and they're just trying to get by and um 
Back to uh, some of the the more official ways that government um, directly you know harms people from starting businesses. You were telling me the other day, and, and luckily I live in I live in Roan County, and and we don't really have much um, as far as countywide goes, as far as fees or obligations. If it wasn't for the state, I don't know that there would be any sort of you know oversight of small business, which is a good thing. And most of West Virginia is like that. But I know in Berkeley County, you've had some pretty significant issues with trying to start businesses there and some of the the outrageous amounts of money they want you to pay to start a business. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, and, you know, back just a real quick, go back to, uh, you know, I think what we were just talking about. A lot of people always criticize libertarians because they're like, well, you guys have a lot of complaints, but you don't have any solutions. And I'm, I, you know, I've offered a lot of uh, possible solutions. I mean, I'm not a, an Einstein. I don't know how everything in the world works, but, you know, why are we forced to pay? Why do I have to have insurance for my food business? And then also have to deal with the state health department. Why can't we have something through insurance companies where for me to get a policy from my insurance company, I've got to have quarterly inspections of my food place. And it all is done handled privately. You know, uh, like I said, I'm not the I'm not saying that that right there cut and dries the solution, but that's an idea that we could start looking into and would save taxpayers money and people would still have that, you know, little bit of safety and warmth that they like to feel when they go out to eat somewhere, you know? Well, even the government, even the government recognizes that, Brett. <laughs> they, they, when you have a, when you have a state office, a lot of the times, if if they have some sort of issue or something arises, or or maybe there's a mandate through a grant um, regulation, they have to have a third party outside independent contractor come in and audit their books. So they even recognize that that's possible. When you you say, well, we don't want government, you know, regulating government. Well, they bring in an outside auditor to come in and look at their books, and that's an independent company that's getting paid through some sort of contract to do that. It's the same thing with what you're talking about. <clears throat> Doctors, uh, you know, electricians, plumbers, anything. They all have these 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 trade organizations that train and ensure the quality of the people that they're producing. And that's one thing that I know libertarians kind of get um, criticism for being anti-union. I- I'm not anti-union. I'm anti-corruption. And, and uh, unions can offer... What they should be offering is that opportunity to ensure that they're training quality people that says, if you're a trained union electrician, you have met these qualifications and you can come and look at what we train and you can look at our certifications and see how we certify these people so you can know the quality of the people we're producing. It's the same as anything else. There could definitely be a state uh, independent company that opens up and says, we certify food trucks. That is our only... Uh, that is our business model. We certified food trucks, and we have a consistent record. These, this is how we audit. This is the things we look at. We certify that Brett Rogers is serving meat to people, and it's safe and and it's a quality product. And they can, you can put that stamp on the side of your trailer and say this organization. Yep. And, and companies do this anyway in all different trades, <laughs> and yet they still have to have the government come in and tell them what to do. And it's in a, in a lot of ways, a lot of people agree with us. They just kind of. They'll either go back to their, you know, their core, um, you know, uh, training as far as schooling and things like that go and say, well, no, the government needs to ensure that your food is safe, that the, the, the services provided are effective and safe. We cannot let people live their own lives. And it's <laughs> most people agree with us. They just add, there's some kind of block between reality and, and, and what actually happens that keeps them from seeing the light and saying, let's vote people in that want to get rid of this stuff. And when you say you want to get rid of regulation, people kind of their hair goes up on the back of their neck and they say well you don't want us to be safe well nine times out of ten if you really get down to the bones of most regulations 
we, we know this in Charleston. We had a, 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 I think it was some kind of chemical that scrubbed coal or something down on the, the Elk River. It's been uh, 10 years ago now. But the tank... It had. It was on the books that it had been inspected. The bottom of the tank rusted out, Brett. That doesn't happen overnight. That means that thing wasn't being inspected by the government officials who signed off on saying it was inspected. And that chemical leaked into the river and poisoned everybody's water. Now, nothing real big happened over it. Nobody got. Nobody died. But it could have been something horrible. And that, that government agency was ensuring. Did that government agency get shut down? No. If you're a private organization that's certifying that tank and it, and it leaks all into the river, I guarantee that company won't exist anymore because they're going to be litigated and they won't own a dime. They won't have the shirt off their back when they're done with them because that's how the the, the free market or markets work. When you ha- are able to litigate against somebody, they're held to account, and that's how incentive yep. works in the market. But when government's involved, they don't have to pay the consequence for them not doing their job, but you and I do. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and so... Absolutely. Yeah, so... Um, uh, the the question I asked before I'm I'm trying to remember oh the uh, Berkeley oh. County what are some yeah, of the yeah. things that you faced up there that that maybe other people in West Virginia haven't so I, I'm I'm assuming probably um, our proximity to Washington D.C. actually it was a couple years ago um, I think they deemed us I don't know if the federal government deemed it through one of their programs or whatever but I think they call us like a corridor or a gateway to the city or something like that so it opened up i, I should have looked that up before i uh, got on here but they they did something that basically opened up the eastern panhandle to a lot of grants i think to uh, be able to expand and the gateway to the city or whatever and uh, back in 2012 or 13 uh, the epa gave our county commission um a large sum of money to implement a how we were going to treat the storm water that's going into the chesapeake bay and our county uh, spent all that money and didn't do any of the stuff that they were supposed to do. Um, so the EPA came back in, I guess it was a few years later, and wanted to see all the, the work and all the stuff they gave them the money to do. And they looked at them and said, sorry, we don't even know what you're talking about. That was a different commission. So they threatened to uh, fine Berkeley County $50,000 a day um, until this was done. So instead of you know, telling the federal government to pound sand, they uh, – Put a rain tax on everybody and created a MS4 program that's uh, supposed to do all this stuff. You know, if you disturb more than 1,500 square foot of ground for business, you've got to pay Berkeley County $25,000. <clears> and that money doesn't go towards anything from what I've understood. It's just to the county for disturbing land. And then um, I was told it, it's going to take two years to get the whole process done by the time the Department of Highways comes out. They make me uh, put a commercial entrance on my farm then pave the first 50 yards or however much they require. And then however much they make me pave, then I have to pay for a storm pond for the runoff on it. Um, and what's wild about this from what I've talked to a couple of delegates, from what I understand, there's no, it's, it's not an equitable fee at all. So whether you disturb 1500 square foot or 150,000 square feet, you still only have to pay $25,000. So for me to sell permanent sandwiches off my farm, um, they want me to pay 25 grand, but if somebody wants to open up a Walmart, they only have to pay 25 grand. So it's, you know, another just handout to these big corporations <laughs> that just r- rule the roost. I mean, like I said, I'm not, I'm not out trying to drill for oil on my farm and, uh, 
you know, start mining for whatever. And do, I, I just want to use my farm as a farm. And uh, like you said, so I've, I've been hearing that there's this uh, agritourism thing that the legislature passed a few years back um, to help people with these farm businesses. So, you know, I, I called a few years ago and the guy really, you know, didn't give me much advice or anything like that. So I just kind of dropped it. And as I've been talking to people the last couple you know, months I've seen there's a brewery open here now and just a big distillery and they don't have any of these ponds. And I've been, I was told it's because they went through this agritourism thing. So, uh, I went back, looked into it, got a, got a hold of somebody and, um, signed up for the class, paid the hundred dollars. And then I got an email from the doctor. This class was all through uh, West Virginia university. Um, so I got an email from the doctor that was in charge of that class that they are the university changed some stuff up and they are unable to offer the class at this time. So I did get a refund for the money. But, you know, here's this program that was offered for two years and people got to take advantage of it. It was a hundred bucks that filed you as a farm business with the state plus covered your property with some uh, limited liability. So I thought that was kind of a, a neat thing that I was interested in looking into. So, uh, and that was all included with the hundred dollars. So I was like, well, that's cool. And then I find out that it no longer exists. And I know WVU is doing some cuts right now. Um, uh, so I'm looking into all that because I'm betting that whole program got slashed and I'm curious as if the, as to if the legislature gave them a bunch of money to implement this program and they just took it and now it's done. And here's some people got to benefit from it. And now the rest of the people can't. So, I mean, I'm in the process of working through all that, but it's just, it's one, like I said, one thing after the next, man, you try to do something on your own property. I mean, I, I get, I could maybe get it if you're out here leasing commercial space that they come in and do stuff. But if you own property and you're not harming anybody, you should be able to, you shouldn't even see the government, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that, that's the thing. Um, we always talk about picking winners and losers and there, there's a lot of farms i know you've got um ores farm up there and we've got grits farm down here very similar uh type of operations and i almost guarantee that that's something they've taken advantage of and you're you're basically saying that as we talked about a little bit ago if you want to start a business if you want to do something you are incentivized to get government involved and what do we always hear about about welfare and food stamps is you know we want the people that truly need it to have the opportunity to to get a leg up well what are they saying with this what you with everything you've just described they're saying basically if you want to do what you're doing you're gonna have to go through this program and have the government spend this money to train you and do all these things. And, and they're creating a program to something you were already going to do, an idea you already had, but now you get the government involved. And what does the government say? Oh, look what we did. We're helping small business. Yep. And that's why I yep. tell people, if you don't have to get involved with government, don't. Because not only you're getting on a list of, of people, you're, they, they've got, they'll put GPS locations in their system, and now you're on their radar, and we all know how that goes with government. Two, yep. you're taking money that you don't need, which is you know morally incorrect, but even if you don't care about that— Three, if you're a liberty-minded person, you are giving the government kudos. You're you're telling the people they they can go out to their constituents and say, "Look what we did. We created this program that's helping these farmers." Well, these people don't know, and they don't have the time to go and do the research you did and talk to people like you, Brett, and say, "Well, did this really help you?" Um, it did help me, but only because the government created this this rule that I have to try yep. to get around, and I've spent all this time 
that I could have been doing something else, working and feeding people to try to dig through this stuff on the internet in front of a computer to try to get it done. It's just a vicious cycle of government creating false incentive in a market and then coming back and saying, look how look how great we are. Look what we did. Yeah. We're, we're, we're helping these these small businesses. And and that's the problem is I know you and I both, I don't I don't want the government. I don't I don't I guess you can take my tax money, but just leave me alone. And a lot of people are like that. And that's kind of why we're in the situation we're in of, of government just slowly growing and creeping like cancer is most people just say, especially in rural areas like West Virginia, you know, Montana, Wyoming, they don't see any of the benefit. They just go, hey, look, you're taking my money. There's nothing I can do about that. But just leave me alone. And they won't even do that. Just be nope. happy if you're a thief and you just keep on coming back and you steal somebody's wallet and you keep coming back and poking them in the ribs. What are you going to do? What's going to happen? Eventually, that person's going to snap or they're going to shut down their business and then you lose that revenue that you had. So it's government isn't even logical. It doesn't even make sense what they do. No. I mean, take my money and leave me alone at the very least. Right. Yep. It's it's insane. And that's you know something else. I don't know how uh, how long you these podcasts typically go. Uh, you know, the, the occupational licensing in the state is insane. Um, now we could do, I could probably do a whole other podcast just on right. occupational licensing. Um, but basically if you're a 18 year old girl in West Virginia and you have $2,500 sitting around, you could be a contractor because, and, and never have to spend a day. You don't even know what a hammer is the day you go. You pay a class for $2,000 for a class and they guarantee you, you pass the state contractor's test on the first time or they refund you back. So what kind of money racket does that sound like? You know, here, pay us $2,000 for this test. That's not going to make you better at your trade at all. And we'll make sure you pass the test. And then here's somebody with a contractor's license, open up a business that has no clue at all as to what it actually takes to be a contractor. Yeah, and that's we hear that stuff about, you know, kids need to go into the trades, and, and, and it's the same thing as we've been talking about. You can go to the trades, but you better do it the way we tell you to. And the state has, a couple years ago, they made uh, technical school free to anybody that doesn't already have a degree, which, again, another yep. thing. If I could go and get my, uh, if I could go to, you know, Bridge Valley Technical Center down here in the Canal Valley and get some kind of certification, I might do that and take advantage of that, that money that I've already paid in. But I already have a four-year degree, Brett's. So I'm, I'm not, I'm good to go. I have an art degree in West Virginia, so that means I'm fine. I'm good to go. I've received all the training I need, um, <laughs> you know, sarcasm, but, uh, yep. it's, it's one of those things that if you just let people exist and work and, and join, if they want to join these trade unions and, and learn to trade, do that. But then you're subvert, like you said, you're subverting the, even that system and saying that people that can pass that contractor's test. I know, you know, the, the journeyman electrician test, if you're, if you're a real book smart individual and you read through that manual, you could go in and pass that journeyman test. It's an open book test. You basically just have to know right. how to use the book. And if you're That's a real how the contractor ast- test is. Yeah, if you're a real astute person, it's not really that difficult to pass those tests. And then what? You've got some somebody that doesn't know, hasn't like you said, never swung a hammer in their life out there building houses. Now, is that really yep. happening? Uh, probably not. No. As, I mean, we're make we're, it's an example, but it's it's a it's a system that the government set up that's supposed to ensure quality of work that doesn't ensure quality of work. 
work. And we, we yep. all know HVAC people that do a shoddy job because they really don't know what they're doing. But you, you've got that stamp that they're a certified, insured individual, but yep. it doesn't mean anything. But maybe, as we said but, before, if they were having to certify through a private organization that didn't have any incentive just to pass them through, they wouldn't be um, certified. They wouldn't have that stamp of approval because they would say, no, our name is on the line. We're not going to certify that you know what you're doing because you don't. Yep. That's, so. I went out to, uh, so yeah, I've, like I said, I've got a HVAC license through the state, funeral director's license, food handler's license. Um, and you I can't even read. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was wild is I went out to state school, James Rumsey, for HVAC program, and it was uh, pretty disappointing, uh, to say the least. And I, you know, I got out of there, got my all my certificates and all that stuff and went and worked in the trade for uh, almost two years. And then I actually went and worked at my friend's funeral home and went and got my license there. Then I was there for probably five, six years, quit and went back to HVAC. And in that five year period, you know, I went to the state trade school that was supposed to give me all the licenses I needed to be an HVAC, blah, blah, blah. Well, I get out and West Virginia created this new technician license. And we were the only state in the whole union that had it. And all of a sudden now my uh, employer had to pay an extra $50 a year for me to have this license that literally meant nothing at all. It was just, how can I get another $50 out of people for the state? You know, and that's what they do down there. They just make these things up and that's all it is, is just a revenue stream for the state. It's not, it, it has nothing to do with uh, quality of work or skill or anything like that. It just keeps people from going into it, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll kind of wrap up. But I guess the main call to action, again, not just being trying to be the libertarian complaint department, is when you're talking to your legislators or your or, or your county commission or any you know if you live in a city, your city council, um, encourage them when when they're out, you know. Um, going out there uh, greasing palms and going out there and talking to their constituents encourage them to talk to tradespeople talk to people that own businesses and and, and it, it, collaborate with them and say what are things that the state uh, county and city governments are doing to make it harder for you to operate and then have them they can assess for themselves how they feel they've been elected they can make their own decisions but are these are these things really ensuring the safety of, of the citizens are these really providing a benefit are these stumbling blocks for small businesses that we can get out of the way and that's I guess that's a good call to action to end, end the podcast with but yeah, um, yeah Brett so a um, little free plug uh, do you want to plug anything to plug your uh, catering business Sure. Um, smoking gnome. It's uh, I do barbecue and mostly I'm just catering right now. I uh, I do plumbing work. I own a plumbing company working on getting all that worked out. So I do plumbing work during the week and then I just cater on the weekends. I'm hoping to be able to have a spot where everybody can come hang out and enjoy and have a good time. Uh, hopefully uh, summertime, maybe the fall, but we shall see. Yes, yeah, so you're on Facebook, right? Your your smoking gnomes business. Yes. Yeah, so check him out yes. there. Get a hold of Brett if you if you need some uh, uh, smoked meats and uh, various things. So, yeah, um, I appreciate you joining me, Brett. Uh, great uh, advocate for liberty up there in the eastern panhandle. We need, we need more of them like you up there and all around the state. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, please go to lpwv.org. Check us out on Facebook. Our email for the podcast, mountainstatelibertycast at gmail.com. If you have any you know comments or, or concerns or you want anything you want us to address, uh, like, comment, comment and subscribe on the podcast that helps us give us a five-star review on apple or spotify that helps us get into the algorithm leave us a comment we might read it on the podcast so uh, until next time don't hurt people and don't take their stuff